If you have a Bible with you this morning, let me encourage you to find Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, we are going to dive back in in just a moment in our series of messages on the songs of Christmas, some of those songs that are recorded in the New Testament for us. But as you're finding that, I just wanted to take a moment and, and, and celebrate with you and say thank you and pass along a, a story or two. Uh, just It is so awesome uh, to be a part of a church that, that, that has a heart of giving. Uh, like this church does, and I'm so, so grateful for that. And just, just thank you. Uh, last Yesterday, uh, uh, one of our Sunday school classes who kind of makes all these pieces work for our angel tree uh, just does an awesome job of coordinating that, and many, many of you participated in that by uh, purchasing uh, gifts and uh, giving those gifts, and we were able to just uh, go out yesterday and just bless uh, families uh, uh, in the community, uh, just providing some uh, Christmas uh, for the kids and that in situations providing even some some resources for food and some of those things along the way and, and you you make that possible and, and and I want you to know that 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 is appreciated and I'll just just give you a couple of uh, uh, examples if I can and just uh, certainly do that in a way that uh, will maintain confidentiality but uh, it's just a, a letter or email actually that came came to us and I'll just read it uh, hello uh, we received a letter from you all about your church being our, our, our sponsor, uh, and we will be home on the 16th for drop-off, but just wanted to let you know how much we appreciate anything you're able to give. With me currently unemployed, Christmas was looking disappointing, with all of the money we have going to bills. Just wanted to send this email to let your whole church know how much I as a mother am thankful and grateful that you can help me. It's always hard reaching out for help, but I prayed about it and decided to do what I could just for my children. Attached, I wanted to send you all a picture of the children you are helping out. I hope you have a, a Christmas, uh, helping out to have a Christmas and just a, a super big thank you and God bless you all. Thank you. And sent a wonderful picture of, of three children uh, just in her family that, that you, you helped bless uh, this Christmas, and I wanted to say thank you for that. Uh, one other story I'll, I'll share with you. We had a, a grandmother who uh, literally walked to the, the church this week, and the reason she came was just to say thank you. Uh, thank you for blessing her five grandchildren with presents. She shared that she just had to come physically and tell someone and to see the church that had been such a blessing to their family. She shared that it is her and the Lord who are raising five grandchildren. Their mother died after giving birth to twins who are now four years old. She also has among the grandchildren a special needs child with some autism. And when she came and she talked to some of our folks here, she was blown away. Uh, to hear that this church has a ministry to some special need children on a Sunday morning. And said she has never found a church that did such a thing. To think that she could actually come and have a place for this one grandchild to be, and in her words, to have some time for just her and the Lord. And all of that is possible because of you. And because of your giving. 
and could go on and on with the stories, but I just wanted to extend from some of these families and from my heart to, to you, a thank you. A thank you for being such an incredibly generous uh, church fellowship and blessing folks, not only within the body, uh, but outside of the body and being a blessing uh, to the Fort Mill community. And so I thank you for that. And I just, just wanted to take a time before we do- dove into the teaching just to, to say a prayer, uh, to say a prayer uh, with gratitude, but also a, a prayer uh, for these uh, families that we've been able uh, to, to be used by God uh, to bless just a little bit this, this Christmas season. So would you join me as we pray, please? Father, we do thank you uh, that, that you have blessed us so, and many of us in this room are, uh, are just just blessed, Lord, uh, uh, physically, uh, financially, spiritually, relationally, uh, on and on and on the list goes, Father, and, and thank you, Father. It's, it's, it's more than we would have ever deserved, and we were so grateful for it, and, and Father, thank you that you prompt in us. Uh, even a desire to give. And Father, just particularly this time of year, every, every gift uh, is, is a reminder is a, of the greatest gift of all, of the gift of Jesus Christ. And Father, I, I thank you that you have allowed us to give, to, to bless uh, those in our community. And Father, we pray that it would not just be a joyous Christmas morning, but it would be a gift that could sustain and encourage for days ahead. And Father, thank you that not only were we able to to share physical gifts, but we were able to give uh, each family uh, a copy of your word. And and Father, just pray that you take that word and quicken it uh, to hearts and lives. Thank you that we're able to share not only gifts, but the greatest gift of all, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, Father, we just, we thank you. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you that you are the greatest giver of all. We thank you that you so loved the world, that you gave your one and only Son, Jesus Christ. And Father, that the offer still stands today, that every one of us can receive that gift by repenting and trusting in you. Father, pray even today that there may be those in this room who would receive that gift. Father, we thank you for all this now. In Christ Jesus' name, amen. Thank you very much for that. You know, we're talking about uh, songs of Christmas, and, and Christmas is, is a lot of things. It's a busy time. It's a hectic time. It's a time for giving gifts, and a lot of things make Christmas special, the decorations and the music that we talked about. Uh, but, you know, one of the other things that's a part of Christmas is waiting, right? Right? And I don't know about you, I'm not a good waiter. I, you know, I just, I just don't do that really, really well. And, and I can remember as a child, and some of you were probably this way, I mean, you, you really wanted to figure out a way to speed up time, right? Uh, did, did any of you negotiate with your parents and try to, try to like convince them that there was great value and merit in just going ahead and opening the gifts on Christmas Eve, right? I mean, you know, that way it'll be a lot less hectic the next day, all those, you know, you always try to negotiate there, right? Y'all, cause you wanted it to happen fast, right? And I remember at our house, we, we, we got to shake gifts growing up. Now, I know some of you are like a no-shake zone at your house, right? You don't, don't put them out because you might break it or something, right? And, and so we, we would even, like when I would give a gift to my sister because we would shake, then you kind of tried to disguise the gift, 
right? And so I would put like blocks of wood in there to make it feel heavy, or I'd put a jar of, of, of pennies or some liquid in there or something so that when she would pick it up and shake it, she, she couldn't really have a, a figure out what it was along the way. But waiting is hard. And some of you, some of you are smack dab in the middle of parenting right now, and, and you know, you know, this kid who you can't dynamite out of bed on a school day. Well, suddenly, suddenly on Christmas morning, we'll be up before the crack of dawn, making all sorts of noise, calling out the whole house, right? I I heard one father came up with an ingenious plan for that. He was so tired of his kids, like, getting up real wee hours of the morning on Christmas Day, so he, he, he was putting them to bed that night, and he said, now make sure you go to the bathroom, because nobody, nobody is getting up to go to the bathroom tonight. Do you understand? So they all kind of did their thing and cut off the water supply early and everything in the bathroom and their rooms were right across the hall from each other got them in the bed shut the door took a rope tied it on one hand took it over to the other doorknob and tied it there so that they couldn't get out of their room there that was his solution to kind of enforce waiting upon us sometimes as an adult maybe you feel like somebody's tied a rope around the door Maybe you feel like you're ready to burst open and get moving. And it seems like your heavenly father's saying, wait. We all experience seasons of waiting in our life. But waiting isn't wasted. In fact is, waiting may prove to be one of the most difficult tests in our walk of faith. And yet God does some things in our waiting. One of the perhaps minor characters of Christmas, we don't often have a a lot of Christmas uh, fancy decorations around a guy by the name of Simeon. But he was a central character because God called him to be a person who would wait. And in his waiting... I think he has some things to teach us about how to wait when God has us in a season of waiting. So I want to look at Simeon's song. I want to look at the backstory, story uh, and then want us to maybe draw out some principles that might apply to our life in this season of waiting. It's because some of you are there right now. Some of you are in the middle of it and you kind of feel like not yet seems more like not ever. <laughs> And you don't know if it's ever going to come. I think Simeon might bring some encouragement to us. Let's let's dive into Luke chapter 2. And and just to kind of give you some some background, uh, you might want to mark Leviticus 12. Leviticus 12 will kind of help understand because uh, a lot of what you see unfolding here has to do with the the Old Testament law. You know, Jesus actually had this this interesting uh, relationship uh, with the, the Old Testament law. Jesus put it this way, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Jesus was born under the law, Galatians reminds us. He lived in perfect obedience to the law. 
On the cross, He bore the curse of the law for you and I, so that He could free us from the burden of the law. And so as we find in Luke 2, kind of these events that maybe don't totally make sense to us, that they are all fulfillment of the law. And so we begin to have this series of events begin to unfold. Luke chapter 2, let's start in verse 21. At the end of eight days, Jesus has been born, at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given him by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And now right here, just in that, that one verse, we, we find Jesus uh, and his parents living out a fulfillment of the law. So, so he goes and he is, he is circumcised and he is given his name. His name is Jesus. And that's actually not an uncommon name. There are others who would have been named Jesus, but the meaning is uh, significant. Jehovah is salvation. And he undergoes circumcision, this sign of the, uh, of the, the covenant with Abraham, that Jesus is going to be the, the fulfillment of all of that. Uh, one uh, famous preacher of yesteryear said his circumcision was his first suffering on our behalf, that, that, that they're almost a precursor of uh, the other suffering that was going to come into his life, and particularly that of the cross of Jesus Christ. But not only was there the circumcision, but we see in the next few verses, they they fulfill a couple of other requirements of the law, purification rites and redemption of the firstborn. Let's just continue, verse 22. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, and Leviticus 12 can give you background on that, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now what's taking place here? Well, we won't go into all the details of the law. Part of what was required after a mother gave birth, and there was kind of guidelines whether the child was male or female, was was a purification rite. And you came before the temple, and there was this this, uh, rites of purification. Now, interestingly enough, what what we know here, you don't perhaps know it just by reading the text, but what what we know, because what they offered were these turtle doves and uh, these pigeons, what we know is that was a provision in the law for people who didn't have a lot of resources. If you had resources, you would offer a lamb as part of the purification rites. But because they didn't offer a lamb, what we know is that Mary and Joseph probably didn't have a lot of resources. Jesus didn't come into a family of power and influence. He didn't come into an abundance in terms of the world's goods. He came into a very humble home, God becoming flesh and dwelling among us. And there are the purification rites. And then as a part of that, particularly for this, this firstborn child, this male, this firstborn, there was a redemption. You remember when they, they came out of Egypt, the last plague was the kind of the death of the firstborn and, and, the, and the Egyptians. And so out of that, every firstborn was dedicated to the Lord. And so part of that was you, you would offer a, a redemption. It's very interesting. The one who would redeem us 
first had to be redeemed according to the law. Uh, Numbers uh, talks about this. Everything that opens the womb of all flesh, whether man or beast, which they offer to the Lord shall be yours. Nevertheless, the firstborn of man you shall redeem, and the firstborn of unclean animals you shall redeem, and the redemption price at a month old you shall redeem them, and shall fix at five shekels in silver, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, which is twenty gerahs. And so they go, and they are fulfilling all of the commandments of the law, including paying the price of redemption. In that context, that's what's brought them to the temple. In that context, we meet this guy by the name of Simeon. Let's go back to the text, verse 25. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout. And what was he doing? Waiting. Waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law. And he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, now let's pause right there. Here's Simeon. He's waiting. We don't know how long he's been waiting, whether it's weeks, months, per years. We kind of historically pictured him as this old man who's been waiting and waiting and waiting. We don't know uh, for sure from the, the, the biblical narrative, but he's been waiting. God, he's full of the Holy Spirit. He's not waiting as punishment. He's waiting on God's perfect timing. And as he's waiting, he's watching. As he's waiting, he's staying faithful. As he's waiting, he's he's doing what God has called him to do. But in the midst of all that, he is waiting. He's waiting on God to move. And then in that moment, that day, don't know 100% how he knew, whether it was just the Spirit's revelation to him, but this child comes. And and I don't know. I don't know if he woke up that day and said, this is the day. Or if he just went and he said, you know, it's another day, it's another day. I'm just going to keep showing up. I'm going to keep showing up. And as he kept showing up, God showed up. And in that moment, he saw this child. And he, and he took this child and he, and he blessed him. And, and, he, and he did it first in a, in a song, kind of this, this poetic saying, if you will. And, and notice the words of this song as it unfolds. He took him in his arms, verse 28, blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Now, there's so much in this song, but let, let's just simplify it around three thoughts. The first observation is, when we think about Simeon's song here in these uh, few verses, it's a worshipful song. It's a worshipful song. He is blessing God. He blessed God. He, he, is, he is thanking God. He is, he is connecting the dots. God has provided. God has fulfilled. God has allowed him to see what he said he was going to see. And so there's this, this worship 
worship, this awe, this appreciation, this blessing of God for who God is and what God has done. But it's also a salvation song. He immediately identifies, my eyes have seen your salvation. He understands this is not just a, another child. This is not just a wonderful baby. But, but this, is, this is a unique moment. God in flesh, this is the one who will be the one and only perfect provision for the salvation of people. And so it's a song that celebrates God's answer to prayer as he told him to wait and he would see it before he died, but also God's perfect provision of a Savior, providing salvation. But it also has, as a part of it, it's a missionary song. It's a missionary song. That this salvation you've prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people. Israel. It is this, this celebration. This message is not just for one nation. This nation, this message is not just for one people group, but it is a message for all people. It is a message for all uh, nations. And that is why, in some sense, historically, we as Southern Baptists have, have always had a connection uh, for a long, long time between Christmas and international missions. Why? Because it is a message for all people. It's a message for the nations. One of the, the Christmas songs, we'll, we'll sing, they, uh, the handbells played it in the first service. Go tell it on the mountain. Go tell it on the mountain. Over the hill and everywhere. This, this message that we are to, to proclaim. This message that we are to share. And Simeon grasped all this. He understood God perfect provision in Jesus Christ, but it wasn't just a, a Jerusalem thing. It wasn't just a, a Hebrew thing, but it was a thing for all people everywhere. And so there is this missionary connection. But then Simeon shifts gears. He, he, he shifts from praise to prophecy. And in the next few verses, he, he, he kind of gives a, a prophecy of, of who Jesus is and what's going to happen. And in, in that prophecy, we see at least three word pictures. So let's, let's just, let me just go ahead and just invite you to follow along there, beginning in verse 34. His father and mother, Mary and Joseph, they're trying to take all this stuff in, right? All that, that's being said. I mean, they, they're still dealing with, with angels and, and wise men and all of this stuff, right? And, and they, they, they come and they, they hear this proclamation, verse 34. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And coming alongside that was another character, verse 36. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption 
of Jerusalem. And so there are these moments of, of, of prophesying in the sense of, in the, in the scene of, of worship. And Simeon particularly gives us uh, three images, three images of, of who Jesus is and kind of what's going to unfold not only in and through his life, but in and through Mary's life as well. The, the first image you won't pick up on readily just from the New Testament decks, that is the image of a stone. That's the image of a stone. You might want to write in the margin Isaiah 8.14. Isaiah 8.14. Here's Simeon uh, drawing on this imagery of, of Isaiah the, in Isaiah's prophetic messianic of messages. He talked about a stone of offense, a rock of stumbling, uh, that, that which would, would cause uh, some to fall, but would, would cause the rising of others. And it's that language that Simeon picks up on here. He talks about uh, the, this one who will, will, will be appointed for the, for the fall and the rising of many. It's an imagery that's picked up by Jesus himself and by uh, Paul, among others. Jesus, uh, but he looked directly at them and said, what then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. This was part of the imagery of who Jesus is, this, this stone who would be a cornerstone uh, to those who, who believed in him. Uh, but, but to those who, who rejected him, uh, who couldn't wrap their minds around him and couldn't open their hearts to him, he would be a stone of, of stumbling, a, a, a stone that would break them to pieces. Paul, writing to the Corinthians, uses that same imagery. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and a folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God, and the wisdom of God. That this message was going to be the same. That this child who was going to go to Calvary's cross and that whole message of God who became flesh and then willingly gave himself up on a cross, it seemed foolish to some. It seemed offensive to some. And that's who Jesus was. That was part of his identity. A stone that would cause the rising and the falling of many. Who would be the cornerstone for those who accepted him. But would be this stone of offense, this stone of stumbling, this stone of judgment upon those who rejected him. And so he said he's going to be a stone. But he also used the word sign, a sign. A sign as in a divine revelation, a revelation of divine truth. In John's gospel, when John identified and recorded some of the what we would call miracles of Jesus, he always used the terminology sign. This is a sign. So if you study John's gospel, a lot of times you'll say, well, this sign and this sign and this sign. Well, these signs, it wasn't just about the physical miracle itself, but it was about what it pointed to, a divine revelation. It was an affirmation of who Jesus was. It was a, a revelation of the heart of God. And Jesus was going to be that sign. There were perhaps many signs that are recorded in Scripture that point us to God, that reveal who God is, but there is no clearer sign than God who became flesh and dwelt among us, Jesus Christ himself. And while he would be a stone, he would also be a sign. But then very particularly for Mary, 
Simeon prophesied that Jesus would be a sword. There would be this sword that will pierce your through your own soul also. And he goes on to talk about uh, the, so that the thoughts from the many hearers may be revealed. We think about the, the, the imagery in the New Testament of the Word of God being this double-edged sword that penetrates to the depths of our being, that, that, that opens up. up. But, but Jesus, his life, that, that for Mary, part of this calling was a piercing. It was a piercing because of what she was going to watch Jesus experience. And you know this. Many of you know this as parents. There are a lot of moms in the room right now. You know. You know there are things that you can suffer and go through, and you deal with them. But when your children suffer, that just pierces you at a whole new level. That just goes to the depth of who you are. You would trade places with them in a moment if you could. Think of Mary, this incredible blessing, and we're going to look at Mary next week on Christmas Eve, this incredible blessing. And who knows what she saw in all those growing up years of Jesus, the rejection, the questions. But she certainly saw as an adult him being lied about, accused, ultimately beaten, and then hanging on a cross. How that had to pierce a mother's soul. And yet it was part of who Jesus was going to be and what Jesus was going to do. And Simeon there in the temple holding this little baby in his hands prophesies all of these things and yet through all of that he was going to be the source of salvation and so Simeon Simeon has waited all this time and as he's waited perhaps he had those days of wondering it is not yet going to be not ever and he waited and waited and waited and finally finally God in perfect timing God let him see what he had promised to let him see and there was this fulfillment of everything that he had been waiting for and in that waiting he teaches us some things and so I want us to just kind of reflect for just a few moments on three quick takeaways and then I'm going to kind of put one kind of extra on there. Three quick takeaways from Simeon's wait. Here's the first takeaway. Waiting on the Lord is an act of obedience. Waiting on the Lord is an act of obedience. Now, now I'm not saying if God tells you to go, sitting there is an act of obedience. That's not. But there are times when what God has for you to do is to wait. You remember when Jesus ascended to heaven? After the the crucifixion, after the resurrection, after all of these appearances, and then he has commissioned these folks to, to go and to take the gospel to the very ends of the earth. And what does he tell them to do first? Wait. Wait a minute. You realize how big this world is, how big this assignment is? We gotta get with it. Wait. Wait until the Holy Spirit has come upon. There are times, there are seasons when the most obedient thing you will do is wait. 
And you'll question, because some of us are activists. We want to do, we want to shake it up, we want to make things happen, we want to push a button, we want to go, right? God's going to say, wait. It doesn't mean you don't do anything. You keep doing what God's called you to do. Simeon, he was devout. He was righteous. He kept showing up at the temple. You keep doing the last thing God's called you to do. But God may intentionally put you in a season of waiting. And if he has you in a season of waiting, waiting on the Lord is an act of obedience. But how you wait makes all the difference. And Simeon reminds us that trust in the Lord's promises will give you perseverance and hope. That when you trust in the Lord's promises, it gives you capacity for perseverance and hope, even in the midst of a season of waiting. And I know some of you have experienced this. Some of you know that that's why it is so important that you, you, you kind of put yourself in those environments where you are reminded of the truth of God's Word and the promises of God's Word. That's why it's important to saturate your mind with the promises and truth of God's Word. Some of us have found it helpful. Maybe you you write some out. Maybe you put them on a note card. You have them in a, on a mirror. You have them on the refrigerator. You have them pop up on your computer screen or your phone screen or whatever it might be. And you, you're in a season of waiting. And you know if you're going to persevere, you're going to have to be reminding yourself over and over and over again of the promises of God. Because when you trust in the Lord's promises, when you're feeding on the Lord's promises, it gives you hope. It gives you strength. It gives you the capacity to persevere. The prophet Isaiah talked about uh, those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. There is something about trusting in God's promises in that season of waiting that will give you perseverance and will give you hope. There's one other thing that kind of Simeon shouts through the centuries to us, and it's simply this, the reward is worth the wait. The reward is worth the wait. It'd be hard to imagine what was going through Simeon's heart and mind in that moment. He had been waiting and waiting and waiting. He'd been clinging to the promises of God. There were probably people who who told him he was was wasting his life. He was being stupid. This was not going to work out. Who did he think he was? And on and on and on it went. But what went through his life in that moment when he, he held that child? And God's Spirit spoke to him. This is the one. I think Simeon would shout to us, it was worth it. It was worth the wait to be able to touch and to see and hold for just a moment God in the flesh, God's perfect provision for the salvation of the nations. The reward was worth the wait. And I think that's a reminder that maybe some of us need along the way. H.B. Charles Jr. wrote a book on prayer. And as he was writing, he had a, had a, a wonderful little story that might be helpful to us in this respect. Talked about a, a lady that she frequented 
a local farmer's market. And she was a regular customer. She knew the farm. She interacted with them. They, they knew each other by name and face. And so she was, she was a good customer. And so she showed up to, to make some purchases, as was her, her, her practice. And what, to her surprise, I mean, it was just mobbed that day. It was mobbed, and they were perhaps a little short, short-staffed there. And so, so she had to wait in line, you know. And I don't know how you wait in line, but I wait real poorly, right? You know, I, I always try to survey which one's going to move faster, right? Make your commitment. I don't know why I do this because I, I know I have the, the gift of stopping a line when I get in it, right? Uh, yeah, something, all of the machine messes up, the credit card reader stops. There's always somebody in front of me who's going 16 layers deep into their purse to find that coupon that's expired or something, right? I mean, it inevitably happens, right? Inevitably happens. And so she's in one of those lines. And she's kind of looking up ahead, and she knows the, the farmer, and, and, you know, he's, he's just being so cordial and taking time and talking with all the people and all that. And she's waiting and waiting and waiting. She finally gets up. Hey, how are you doing? Good, good. And she said, well, I, you know, I really, really, I couldn't find him out there. I, I'd like, I want some grapes. And he looks at her and says, wait just a minute. Takes off. And she says, Wait! Wait a minute. And so then she starts running all these scenarios in her head. You ever done that? Wait, I'm one of his loyal customers. This is what happened. This is what happened. People begin to take you for granted. You're a loyal customer. You show up. You buy, and they take you for granted. Well, I tell you what, I've been waiting in this line long enough. This is the last time I'm coming here. I, this is ridiculous. they got to get their act together. And, da, 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 da. and I'm, I'll tell you, if he gets back, I think I'm going to give him a piece of my mind on my way out. And I mean, she's just, you know, running all these scenarios in her head. Finally, Saturday. After what seems like forever, he comes from around the back with this humongous group of grapes. She said it was the biggest grapes she'd ever seen in her life. He said, taste one, taste one, taste one. She takes it and bites into it. And it's like, whoa, I have never tasted grape like that in my life where did these come from of course she doesn't unload all that stuff she'd been talking about right he kind of pays for her purchase they exchange some pleasantries and she's starting to spin and walk away and the old farmer says oh listen i'm sorry i kept you waiting but i needed time to get you my very best Could it be, could it be that your heavenly father knows exactly what he's doing when he has you in a season of waiting? And waiting is not wasted time, but it's time he's using to give you his very best. See, the reward is always worth the wait. But it's not just about what God brings to us, but what God does in us. Let me give you this statement, and and maybe you want to write it down. What we wait for is not more important than what happens to us while we wait. 
what we wait for. Sometimes we think about what we're waiting for is the most important thing. But what we wait for is not as important as what happens to us while we wait. Now, I don't profess at all to be an expert in metals. Some of you know far, 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 far more than I will ever know about that. Sometimes when we talk about metals, we talk about the heating process, right? Heat it up. And, and in ancient times, uh, maybe a precious metal, they would, have, they would have heated it up and those impurities would have, have come to the surface and you'd skim off the impurities and on and on and on this process would go. And heating is an essential part of, of dealing with metal. And a lot of times we connect that to suffering, and rightly so. There are times when God has us in the refiner's fire, right? And where it's heating up. And in that heat, God removes some impurities for our life. But that's not all that's involved in working with metal. But not only is the heating very, very important, but so is the cooling. Let me read to you from somebody that knows more about it than I do. Metallurgists have discovered that changes occur in the metal itself during the cool-down period. If the cool-down is too fast, it can cause microscopic cracks in the metal that will inevitably lead to fatigue and ultimately to disaster. To ensure that the cooling process aids in strengthening, the metal is typically placed in a quenching bath. Then, when the right temperature is reached, it's dropped into a constant temperature bath until it attains uniform temperature throughout. Next, it's allowed to cool slowly in the air until it reaches room temperature. This waiting is essential to ensure the metal's structural uniform strength to accomplish It's in use. We too go through cool down periods. In those times, the great refiner strives to build into our lives the qualities that he knows we'll need for effectiveness in the ultimate use he has in mind. Waiting becomes an inescapable segment of this process. It's essential. That you and I understand that God is every bit as interested in the process he takes us through as in the product he's forming us into. Richard Hendricks said, second only to suffering, waiting may be the greatest teacher and trainer in godliness, maturity, and genuine spirituality most of us will ever encounter. The reward is worth the wait. Because in the waiting, God may be getting his best to bring to us. But what we wait for is not as important as what God does in us through the waiting process. 
And that reward is worth the wait. And so I'm just going to invite you to bow your heads with me right now. And let's just take a moment and wait before the Lord. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Oh, Father, I readily admit, and I think I do so not just for myself, but probably for most of us in this room, we don't like waiting. We don't do it well. We don't like waiting in lines. We don't like waiting online. We don't like waiting for your timing because we want what we want when we want it. And Father, would you just in graciousness speak to us in these next few moments and remind us that not only are your ways not our ways, but your timing is not our timing, but your ways and your timing is always, always, always far, far, far better than ours. And so, Father, I just pray, knowing that there are some in the room right here, right now, who are in a season of waiting. Not in every area of their life, but in some significant areas. Father, would you teach us? Would you teach us how to wait? Would you remind us that if you have us in such a season that waiting on you is an act of faith and obedience? Would you rivet our hearts and minds anew and afresh to the promises and the truths of God's Word? Oh, Lord, would you help us to operate out of that mindset and perspective that the reward is worth the wait. The reward of what you'll bring to us and what you'll do in us through the wait. As you take just a few moments more to wait upon the Lord, there's some questions in the box that invite you to make it personal in your note-taking guide that may help get you started. What are you waiting for this Christmas? It's important to know what that is. But even more important is deciding how. How are you going to choose to wait. As you just sit before the Lord, I just want to speak to some of you in the room right here, right now. In this season of giving, we acknowledge, we celebrate that the greatest gift ever.